Welcome to I Am, I Have, brought to you by Happiful and Counselling Directory. Jess Jones is our guest today and she is just the person to perk you up if you need a dose of realistic optimism, lived experience and chat about owning who you really are. Before we start today's podcast, I'm going to sneak in a little reminder to download our free Happiful app. You can read all issues of our magazine whenever and wherever you want to and find the help you need. Now you've had that reminder, here's Jess Jones. We'd both love it if you could rate and review this podcast as well as sharing. Today's guest is the brilliant Jess Jones. She's an award-winning blogger, mental health activist, motivational comedian, and author of the brand new and very brilliant book, Own It, How to Build Your Confidence, Completely Love Yourself, and Embrace Your Body. Hers is the relatable voice we all need right now. Welcome, Jess. Hello. Hi, and I'm speaking to you on publication day. How are you doing? I'm good. I celebrated with a Big Mac. (laughs) The chicken, the new chicken one. Um, was immensely disappointed, but that's fine. Um, but no, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm excited, nervous. What's really funny is the irony of feeling really insecure when you've just published a book about confidence. <laughs> but it's really hard not to because I put so much into it. Yeah. And there's so much of me in it. So the idea that people read it and be like, oh yeah, I love it. Or, oh no, I don't. I'm like, oh, the pressure is immense. But um, no, I feel, I feel good all in all well you should it's brilliant and we're going to talk about it in a in a bit more detail but can we start off with you introducing yourself in your own words obviously I've just given a snapshot of who you are but what do you think our listeners should know about you um I'm a mum of four seven if you include uh non-human children the fur the fur babies um so I've got four children human ones um a dog and two cats uh so chaos is like just a standard level of life for me um I've not always been confident though I've been on a huge journey um and one that's not been very straightforward but I think has been completely life-changing in so many ways um not just because now I've managed to write a book about it but just in general just I think it's been a massive massive shift from being the person I was probably five maybe ten years ago who wouldn't really speak up in meetings, who probably was perceived as being confident, but actually it was all a bit of a facade to kind of hide the fact that actually I was deeply, deeply insecure um, and really wanted to be liked. So just agree with everyone and everything um, to the person that I am now. And I guess that's what I want people to know that it is. It's obtainable in my mind for anyone, no matter where you are in your journey. Um, and I hope that's what people get. Um, so yeah, celebrating with a McDonald's, no flash launch parties or anything like that. I just want people to understand that it, anything is uh, obtainable for them. If it is for me, it is for them. What I love about the book is that you are very clear about your journey and the ups and the downs and the things that you learned from that were hard lessons and mm. the stuff that you learned from that you will take forward and in a way was a gift, although you didn't know it at the time. So We're going to talk about confidence to start off with, because it's your first I am, which is I am confident and capable. Tell us about being confident and capable and how that manifests in your life now. I I loved the I am's because they were kind of like mini affirmations for me to just remind myself. And 
for me, confidence and capability kind of go hand in hand because a lot of the time we're capable of doing stuff. We just don't, we're not confident enough to try to find out that we can or that we've got the ability to do it. And I spent a long time in so many aspects of my life, whether it was in love, in work, just not feeling capable of achieving anything positive. But I look back and actually a lot of it was just because I didn't have the confidence to step into that or own it or to, uh, <laughs> excuse the pun, to own it. And um, there was no will get up and go about myself to really go yeah actually I can do this so that's why they go hand in hand for me so the confidence part is believing that you're able that you can actually achieve something and the capable part is that actually nine times out of ten we're all capable of doing it already it's just believing that in ourselves and then having the the I don't want to use the word confidence again but essentially having the confidence to try so that you can find out that you can um, and I, I listened to a really good quote the day that said, practice doesn't make perfect. Practice just makes you learn and learn and get better at something. But there's never really any perfection in anything. And I love that because I thought, well, that's that's what I want people to have. The confidence to try, try and try again until they realise that they're capable of doing it and then just take it from there. I love that. I love that idea. I mean, there is no perfection, but also in terms of confidence and capability, something that really stood out for me in the book was when you talked about confidence and courage as well. And it was something that I really underlined because I'd, I'd never thought about courage in that way and confidence in that way, because I think sometimes people feel that they are enmeshed that mm. if you if you're conf- if you have the courage to do something, you must have the confidence to do something. But actually, they're they're quite different, aren't they? Can you share a bit more about what you talk about when it comes to courage? The courage is is being willing to try, isn't it? It's the bit of of you that is brave um, and kind of wants to. The confidence can sometimes be the I guess the affirm that I can do it now. I'm a bit more confident. I can do it. I can try it. I can go for it. But courage is really hard. And courage comes from such a place of vulnerability or fear because we're always like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to try that. I'm not going to do it. And then you kind of get the courage to do it. There's a really brilliant book called The Courage to Be Disliked. And I didn't ever get it at first. And I was like, oh, that's just silly. But actually, it's about this really deep kind of lost words now which isn't like me um but that really deep I guess acceptance that you're you're scared of something but you're going to do it anyway that's such a a big thing and having the being brave enough to try or even step into that but they are very different and it's it's really hard to articulate and I hope people understand that when they read it that they are two separate things and you can be both of them you can be one of them but ultimately you can't have one without the other which is even more confusing but you can't be confident unless you've got the courage to try yeah and for me what I took away from that is if you have the courage you can move forward it did reframe for me what moving towards confidence could be you know because sometimes we have that spark in ourselves but we don't necessarily have the confidence but it's almost like there's momentum there once you have the courage to to do something and start start the ball rolling and in terms of confidence how did you build yours how did you move from a place of as you said feeling quite insecure and just agreeing with people kind of people pleasing yeah to to somebody who is absolutely owning it and talking about that confidence there were a lot of times where I had to suck up the fear of failing and shame comes into it massively and I think actually that's probably the biggest thing that stops so many of us doing so many things and so for me I had to really accept the place that I was in 
and then let go of the shame that I attach to if I fail at this what are people going to think and that's really really hard because I was a massive people pleaser I'm somewhat a little bit still um because I don't think you ever entirely let go of that but it was really really difficult and one of the things that I tried to do was kind of say to myself who am I trying to impress and actually if it's just me if I if I achieve this and I'm really pleased with myself then is that enough and if it is enough then I should just do it anyway and so there are a lot of moments of just kind of almost throwing myself into situations and scenarios and you know opportunities that maybe I wouldn't have before so that at least I could almost prove to myself that it was possible and when I first started doing that it it was a bit weird because I threw myself into it to almost prove to myself that I was going to fail because I was so convinced I was going to be bad at something or I wasn't going to be able to do it so I almost put myself in situations kind of going yeah well I can prove prove to myself I'm gonna fail and then I can just leave that and then actually when it went particularly well or something you know I achieved something that actually I didn't think I would I it did the opposite and affirmed to me that actually I can I can do stuff I'm gonna be okay so then I'd just try more things and over time it built my confidence but the biggest thing was letting go of the shame of if I fail what are people going to think about me because I think so much of not doing stuff is attached to what are they going to think because it's one thing to fail privately but to fail publicly and public doesn't have to mean like on this huge platform it could just be in front of your friends or family or children or you know people you're connected to or work colleagues if you go for a promotion internally you don't get it everybody's going to know you didn't get it so you just don't bother going for it at all and all of those things are wrapped up in what other people think and it just is so it limits you so much so the build-up for me was actually putting myself out there and then going okay or yeah I could prove to myself I'm gonna fail and then actually being okay at it and going right okay this this is possible and then doing it over and over again I'm pretty impulsive so I will just go for something and then just (laughs) hope for the best um but it built my confidence over time and there's there's some kind of reverse internal reverse psychology mm. in there isn't there it's like I'll do this but I know it's not going to work and it it does work and then you build the stepping stones of confidence um and it is that courage like you said it's that courage to actually do something even though there is the possibility that it won't work out and it might it might come back on you in terms of confidence are the people within your sphere that that have helped you with confidence are the people you look to or I guess people that you've met along the way that have helped so my mum has always been a really confident person from from kind of an outside looking in and as a child I look back and she was always quite confident she was a backing singer she was always on stage performing and doing so like that's just what she was like so as a kid I guess I I had no reason not to be confident because that's what I saw um and actually most of the women in my family and my mum's friends were all really incredible strong black women who just owned who they were who were really fearless in everything they did from what I could see as a child I never knew the, the inner workings of their minds but that's what I saw and so I just always kind of thought well there's there's no why can't I and my mum was very good at encouraging me and even though we all still have those horrendous self-doubts that stop us doing so much but my mum probably played one of the biggest parts in that for me um because she was pretty fearless um and and I look back and realize just how foolish she was a single mum of two never stopped her she still took us on holiday and did all these things on her own that 
I probably wouldn't have done at the time or even now <laughs> I'm like oh I've got to go to Aldi with all the, all the kids <laughs> on my own oh my gosh and when there was my mum taking us on an aeroplane like they're all those things and I think she was a really great example for me um and then just on TV just people that we saw in general I used to love the gladiators <laughs> on a Saturday <laughs> night yes but the women on there were so fearless and so confident and so badass and I loved that like I absolutely loved it. They were like my favourite people on telly. And they were so they, strong. Oh my gosh, so strong. And I absolutely loved them. And it, again, it sounds so silly, but they were such great examples of being like a really powerful woman um, who was confident because they wore these the tiny weeny clothes. <laughs> like, obviously as a kid, I didn't realise how small they were. As an adult, I'm like, what? <laughs> like, they wore those really tight, tiny weeny leotards. But they were amazing. They were absolutely amazing. So a lot of it came from that. But I think I'm very fortunate that my mum was probably the biggest uh, example for me. I bet she is delighted about this book. Oh, yeah. She, in her mind, she's obviously written it because she, <laughs> she made me. So if she made me anything I do is like basically her achievement. <laughs> like that's, that's, but she she does everything. So she... Um, presents my shows for me when I go on tour she comes on tour with me she does all she's essentially my opening act she she's brilliant and I I am very lucky and she doesn't do all of those things because she's my mum she does all those things because she's good at them um but yeah she always introduces and she said to me when I did my first show you know I introduce you to the world the least I should do is introduce you on stage that's all she says to everyone um but yeah she is very proud but I think um proud of herself <laughs> too for making me <laughs> well listen I mean it's quite a big thing making a human so we'll give her that but also that's really beautiful to hear you know that bond but also as seeing your mum as you were growing up as that that confident woman and obviously as we're adults now we see that not everybody is kind of wholly confident at any time yeah. everyone has their own internal dialogue but to, to have that role model is phenomenal and though you said that your mum feels like she might have written it it is most definitely your book and that goes on to your (laughs) next I am which is I am owning it tell us about owning it and tell us about why it was important to have that as the title of this book so oh god you could probably be my dog barking now and so I really weirdly a few years ago wrote a post-it note um I wanted to I love vision boards and stuff and I wrote a post-it note about the girl that owned it was what I wrote on this post-it note was the book title I wanted and this was like in 2018 or 19 and I had it on this board for years and then when I got the book deal the world book brilliant Beth my editor was just incredible and she said oh you're always someone who owns it like when I think of a title I think of that and I was like that's so weird because that's on my post-it note Um, and so that that was where the title came from but actually for me owning it isn't just about being really confident it's about owning all the parts of you the parts that you don't like the parts that you do like the parts that you're trying to accept the parts that maybe you know things that have happened in the past that you maybe regret or don't like you have to own all of those to really accept the point that you're at now for you to be able to step forward and so it's not just about owning it enough to wear a bikini or you know dance in your underwear those are great bonuses but actually owning it for me was I accept it's almost another version of saying I accept who I am I'm owning exactly who I am in this moment and it's okay to be me exactly as I am right now and that's how I'm going to move forward 
Um, so it was really strange that that became the title because it kind of fell into place. And actually, the more I see it, the more I realise I say it quite often. <laughs> so it's worked out quite nicely. Um, but yeah, it's for me, it's not just about I'm going to own it and be fabulous. It's actually, no, I'm owning the parts of me that I, I'm not sure about, the parts of me that I don't like. Um, I, when I refer to it, I particularly think about my motherhood journey. There's parts of my mothering that I'm not great at. I'm a bit of a shouty mum. I've got no patience, but I'm owning those parts of me in order to make them better. But until I accept them and own them, I can't do anything about them. Um, and so that's, it's kind of all encompassing the whole 360 journey of, of kind of transforming your life you have to own it first in order to to feel accountable enough to make change yeah absolutely and you know one of the things that I saw recently and it is funny because when you're listening to this you you won't have a visual but I've got two splodges of paint on the wall behind me and I was like I can't do this podcast talking to Jess and you know looking far from professional she just brought out a book and then I remembered what you posted the other day about you know sometimes we get caught up in this the part of us that wants things to look like everything is you know Instagrammable or you know kind of done and like I said you know I look professional but actually why do we feel that way and you were having a real journey that day you were kind mm. of interrogating why do I feel like I need this why is that important to me what is Instagrammable anyway and I was really thinking about that too you know who who is looking who am I doing this for what is it about me that feels I can't show the the messy undone you know not prepared kind of look I mean it's two splodges of paint on a wall you know it's it's that's what I must have made you feel better because I've rocked up in my toddler's headphones like I've got three-year-old headphones on that I thought it was a brand choice to be honest because it's exactly your book's color it's the same color as my book but no they're too small and they're my kids headphones because I couldn't find my headphones but when I asked I, I really got into this I realized I wasn't posting a lot and it's because every time I went to take a picture there was just basically a pile of crap behind me in the house somewhere like just there was a nappy sack or you know just mess or laundry and I just thought oh I can't take a picture of that I can't take a picture of that I can't do that and then I suddenly thought where is this coming from like what is this and again I keep going back to the word shame so much of it comes from shame because we believe as a society having a messy home is shameful it's embarrassing so we don't want to project that or, or show anyone that because we're worried that people will think that about us and for me personally it really became this thing where well if I've got a messy house people are going to think I'm a bad mum or I'm a bad person or I've got you know they're going to think all these things about me but actually none of those things are true and and they're not defined by the state of my house there's no moral standing on how clean or tidy your house is and that can be applied to so many other aspects of our lives we don't show the bits that we deem shameful or messy or unacceptable because we don't want people to think a certain thing about us but actually none of those things that they think are true they might be true to them that's fine but they're not true to us and actually it's, it's your truth that matters so do I think having a messy house makes me a bad mother no okay well then take a picture of of the mess behind you then it doesn't matter if someone else thinks you're a bad mum because you don't think you're a bad mum and it's your voice and your truth that matters yeah. and so when I started to really dig deep as to why I thought that I suddenly was a bit like I really need to let this go and just take a damn picture like it's really not a big deal so the clothing pile that's been on my bed and then the floor and then the bed and then the floor and then the bed and which you. isn't that yeah currently on my bed um just take a picture of it in the background like what is the big deal like it, so what <laughs> and actually 99.9% of people were like yeah that's exactly what my bed looks like 
that's that's what my house looks like exactly that's pretty normal and so I realized it was so internalized about we're worried so much about what other people are going to think or how they're going to define us based on what we put out there whereas actually you can't control what other people think but what you can control is what you think and so actually do I think I'm a bad mother because my house is a mess no cool end of story full stop that's it yeah and I think it's wonderful the way that you share your internal discussions about these kind of things. Why has that made me feel like that? And it, it's something that you talk about in the book is reflecting quite a lot. You have um, exercises at the end of uh, every chapter, yeah. which is really useful. I have a notebook where I've started to do some of them. The letter Amazing. to my younger self or was emotional it is it's, it's really hard isn't it it's so emotional but actually taking a moment to think why am I behaving this way or what what's behind that really does help and I wondered have you always been like that have you always been able to stop and reflect or is that a lot of work that you've done over the years or just accumulation of I guess life a bit of both I think on a surface level I've always been pretty reflective I've always had a journal or a diary which hilariously I found my like 15 year old diary when I was 15 the other day and I was like what the heck look who was this I was I just I don't even know why I wrote half the stuff I wrote and uh, I almost found I was at the time I was writing the diary almost like hoping someone would find it and like I don't know create a movie about my life like it was just <laughs> so pathetic it was hilarious so I've been reflective in that respect that I would always write down like what happened in the summer holidays I think I wrote something about being at Thorpe Park and like the guy I had a crash on kissed me on the cheek like just it was just hilarious so I was reflective in that way um but I think when I started going to therapy that was a real learning because I had to almost be taught how to really reflect and not just reflect and relive or re-speak on what happened but actually understanding why that happened and why that's then triggered a a domino effect of behavior or why I then behave the way that I behave and can that be adjusted and why I'm triggered in, in certain ways about certain things so I think I've always been one to look back but not necessarily look back in any depth and mm. um, but I've really done that now um probably much to my husband's annoyance because now, now I do it about him and I do it about everything yeah so why do we keep leaving our shoes by the door what does that really mean what is that telling us how how is that reflective of how you're feeling is like I just left my shoes by the front door just like I grip um <laughs> I, I try really hard to understand more about myself and one key thing and I wrote about this in the book briefly um but one of the things I look back on is how I felt about the people so if I was particularly jealous or envious or bitchy or not very kind or said unkind things about people behind their backs which I'm not gonna be embarrassed to say that's just part of life it's something I've done but when I look back in those moments I look back at what was going on in my life in those moments Mm. and actually I realized just how deeply unhappy I was or there was something going on that was troubling me or bothering me and so I realized that a lot of what I was saying and doing was a projection of anger and frustration that I was trying to put onto someone else so looking back now those things are really helpful for me to understand why I behaved in certain ways so that when I maybe feel like that's coming on again or I feel like I'm getting frustrated about something I can actually take action to make that situation better rather than fall into the trap of feeling like I was feeling before um, and maybe present some particularly negative behaviours that aren't very helpful or resourceful um, for anyone involved Mm. Um, but I think you have to be open to accepting those parts of you 
and, and owning those parts of you and those moments in your life that maybe you're not so proud of or aren't so nice. Yeah. Um, and that's a really hard pill to swallow because I found it really difficult to be really honest with myself about not being a very nice person at some points in my life. Um, and I'm not condoning it or justifying it, but what I am saying is there was a reason for it. And what I'm going to do now is ensure that that doesn't happen again so that I can't be someone who hurts someone else. Um, and so that's, yeah, it's definitely become something I do more often now. Um, and I think actually it's, it's, essential, it's essential in really finding out more about yourself in order to move forward more positively. I agree. I agree because sometimes what it does when you see a counsellor is that you can't avoid the parts of yourself that you don't necessarily want to look at. And while you were talking about that, I was nodding furiously because I'm also a people pleaser. So when I know that I have behaved in a way that is less than kind or actually quite damaging to someone else, I find it really hard to look at that part and that's not healthy to to only look at the bits of you that you can deal with and Mm. that's why I love this idea of owning it it is kind of saying you know we do have these parts of ourselves that aren't we don't always love to acknowledge um, but by doing that we can learn something and we can we can move on and not do that again in the future but by keeping them keeping them repressed and feeling the shame there and not letting any light on them they literally just fester don't they oh absolutely and then because we don't talk about stuff and Brené Brown talks about this all the time about not talking about stuff when you bring them to light the shame dissipates it it goes away and so yes it can be shameful behavior in some respect but actually the more we talk about it the more we can actually understand why it happens and do more to work to making it a more positive experience for everyone involved because otherwise we just no one talks about stuff no one talks about no one wants to admit that they were horrible about somebody else or you know I can't imagine trolls go around going oh yeah on the internet sometimes I put horrible comments on me like just they don't go to the coffee shop or you know a school mum in the paper and goes oh yeah yesterday I left a comment on someone saying she looked like a fat cow like no one's gonna do that they don't admit to that because there's an understanding that that behavior is shameful however what if she had the time to really stand back and acknowledge why am I doing that what is making me behave in that way and then acknowledging that it's actually easier to discuss to say actually do you know what I'm in a really bad place Mm. and I'm projecting and this is why I'm saying this and actually I need some help or I need some support I need an outlet and then that conversation suddenly isn't so bad yeah but until we get to that point where people are comfortable enough to self-reflect and be more self-aware about why they're behaving in the way that they are and owning those not so nice parts we're not going to move forward no and that's what I hope for people to get I think I think they will and also you know the idea of a safe space or like a journal and things like that whether if you if counseling isn't for you if you're not able to access counseling the idea of actually writing something down and just getting the light on it on a page you know kind of saying this is this is what I feel this is rather than keeping it inside I don't think that can be underestimated the idea of actually getting something physically from your head or from your kind of soul onto paper and looking at it Mm. in black and white can be so helpful um so I love I love those um I'm someone who loves a bit of homework so (laughs) so Isabella my three-year-old she's nearly four but her obviously her older sister has homework because she doesn't so she was always like I really want some homework so I bought a maths book for Christmas and she was like homework <laughs> and now I'm laughing at you reading the book and getting to a challenge at the end of a chapter and being like homework but 
I wanted, do you know why I, I put those in there? Is because one, I didn't want it to be an autobiography because like, who am I? Like that's, that's what- You're Jess Jones, do. that's who you are. Obviously, it's so important. Everyone needs to know who I am and know my life story. But what, what is really important is you cannot change your mindset unless you take action. There's just that you're not going to be able to do it. So it's all going to well. It's not when people say, manifest and that always makes me laugh because people think manifesting is literally sitting there and just asking for it just saying it out loud but actually manifesting something is taking action you have to take actions towards actually obtaining it so the reason why I wanted to include challenges and exercises is because I wanted people to take action so read a chapter great reflect on it but actually what's the next bit because I've read loads of books where they're brilliant and I read them and I'm all powered up for two minutes and then I'm like uh, okay what's next there needs to be some action that's actually physically taken that actually makes you do something that, that makes you stop and think and reflect and do and actually be able to change your mindset in some in some way um, and without that action nothing changes yeah so I wanted to include those so that there are actually steps for people to take well I think it's brilliant and you're absolutely right you know it's scientifically proven and I was reading Atomic Habits by James, oh, James Clear. I, oh, love I love it. So I got it. I got it as an audio book, but then I bought the book. <laughs> so I did exactly the same. I had it as an audio book, loved it. And then I was like, now I need to highlight it with a highlight pen. Yes. yes. Oh, <laughs> kindred spirit. Yeah, absolutely. But he does talk about, you know, some people can kind of gather the, the information that they need. You know, they can read all the books, which it sounds like. Um, is what you're talking about but if you, unless you take action you're not going to change a habit you're not going to change a direction you're not going to change a feeling um, and I definitely highlighted that but <laughs> yeah I, li- I literally I need I needed the physical book to highlight it like I, I bought it just for that I'd already read it but that's it's really key for me that people understand there's a process there's you have to take accountability for yeah. yourself and do something um, there's a physical thing that you need to do not physical as in you go for a run but there's a there's an action that needs to be had in order for something to change otherwise it's not going to change you're just going to know a bit more information I agree doesn't help anyone I agree you've got to move forward and moving forward your next I am is a lovely one and it's I am loved tell us about being loved something that I actually haven't always thought was possible and I realize now that you can't really be loved or accept that you're loved until you love yourself first. And I know some people go, yeah, but I've got a really awful relationship with myself. I don't love myself. Um, but, you know, my husband loves me or something. But actually, the behaviours that we present in those relationships don't always reflect that we know that they love us. So we might constantly look for reassurance or, you know, we're constantly insecure or we feel nervous or anxious or worried that they're going to run off and leave us or something's going to happen. Because actually, on a subconscious level, we don't feel loved because we don't love ourselves first. And so... I am loved was not just by others, but by myself. I'm loved by me first and foremost. And then the love from everyone else is is a beautiful bonus in life. Um, And so that's where that came from for me, because actually the hardest person to convince to love me was me. Yeah. It was me. It was pretty easy convincing my husband because I'm a hottie, you know. Yeah, it was easy. I was like, hun, (laughs) you're going to love me and marry me. And he did. Um, and your kids automatically to some degree love you because you're their mum but actually convincing yourself to love yourself is the hardest one and it shouldn't be because that we should be essentially leading by example this is how I love myself and I expect you to love me because I love myself at this level Um, and so I, I 
really wanted that to be my I am because I think it's so much deeper than just I'm loved by my mom and my friends no most importantly I'm loved by me and it's taken me this long to to get to that point but it's the most important one it is and you know you you've talked in the book about along the way how you felt and times you haven't loved yourself and I think it's not linear is it loving yourself no, and it, no, it, it, it can flip in and out of of feeling that way about him feeling okay and different things happening in your life and you talked about being your own best friend and as something that's just come to mind is at the beginning of this conversation I was telling Jess that I've just hurt my back because I fell off some roller skates and I was quite brutal about <laughs> about myself in that moment now I know it's funny but but I think some of us have got used to that kind of self-deprecation in a way. Mm. Is that the right word? Self-deprecation. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Was, I was the worst at that. It, because it's almost like that's what's inbuilt. That's what people laugh at. That's that's a kind of, it's a defence mechanism. Sometimes it's a way of forming a, a funny connection with someone, kind of downplaying something you've done. But after a little while, it starts to seep in. It's kind of insidious. And you start to see your way, yourself in that way that you're projecting to others are you more careful now about the way you talk about yourself to yourself yeah totally and I think on some level as well we say these things before anyone else can say them yeah so I used to describe myself for me now fat isn't a negative word but when it was for me I would say oh yeah I look so fat and this before anyone else could tell me I did so you almost in some way laugh at yourself or are negative about yourself before anyone else can so it almost softens the blow slightly because if you do it to yourself then it's easier than if someone else does it to you and so that is is something that I did for a very long time and you've got to be so mindful and a massive part of my journey was realizing how I spoke about myself so that in the way that my children hear or see and so for me that was one of the most important things was that they saw someone who spoke positively about themselves because children will do what you do not what you say so they you can tell your kids you love them a million times and they're amazing and they're beautiful but actually if you're not presenting that sometimes it's gonna be hard for them to accept for, for themselves because they've, they've not seen you do that for yourself and that's not in every case and that's not to make anyone feel bad but that's how I felt yeah. and so I had to be really mindful about what I say to myself and it's funny because when I tell people my online handle they immediately go with a really negative reaction and this happened literally a couple of days ago with someone said oh, what's your Instagram and I said oh the fat funny one and she went oh gosh that's oh why you're not fat why would you say that and I'm like yeah I am <laughs> and she just looked at me I said, yeah, I am, but but there's nothing wrong with that. And she was like, oh, no, no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. And I was like, but but that's the immediate reaction is that it's it's negative. And I've had to really work on learning that that's not, it's just a descriptor. It's just, I'm fat, great, but I'm fat doesn't mean I'm ugly or I'm incapable or I'm this it doesn't mean anything else it's not negative it just means I'm fat great but I'm fat and great and beautiful and funny and wonderful and it's just another word to describe myself rather than it being something to be self-deprecating so I think it's really important that we take time to really understand how we're talking to ourselves because we would never in a million years talk to friends and family or our children in the way that we talk to ourselves yeah no I agree absolutely wouldn't and I would 
I would be so upset if anyone talked to my best friend the way I talk to myself yeah. I would yeah I always think of my children like if if my if I do something wrong or I made a mistake I'd be like oh you're so stupid like no wonder why can you imagine if my poor nine-year-old said mommy I made a mistake and I went you're so stupid how could you do that oh, it's typical of you of course you made a mistake of course you made a mistake that's what else would happen like you're, you're bad at everything but that's oh, the kids are shy. but that's <laughs> what we do to ourselves yeah it is when you actually say it out loud and expect that same conversation with somebody else it's shocking it, it genuinely shocks you how negative it is yeah it can so be abusive I, absolutely it is it's we're verbally abusive to ourselves and because it's to ourselves and it's in a dialogue we don't necessarily think it's that important to address but it is it's so so important um so I always say and I've said it in books you know would you speak to your best friend like that? But also think of anyone that you care about or love. Would you say any of the things that you say to yourself, to your friend, to your child, to your mother, yeah. to your partner, would you do any of that? And if the answer is no, then there's absolutely no way that you should be talking to yourself like that either. No, I agree. I absolutely agree. And, and just coming back to, to what we were just talking about when you told someone that your handle was that the fat funny one and that was their response it's so interesting how um, diet culture is so embedded in our everyday mm. that even when you do the work on yourself and I'm talking from a personal perspective, but even when you do the work on yourself and you're, you're trying to move away from that diet culture mentality, guarding yourself against the fact that it is still very much embedded in the world around us and, you know, talking to yourself and loving yourself is part of the equation but also being aware that other people won't have the same understanding of mm-hmm. how you talk you know just just the general diet culture shit in January you know the just the general kind of body talk just the it's like talking about the weather sometimes in the UK they're kind of putting yourself down and just being aware of that around you as being a shorthand for an easy conversation like you said like talking about the weather it's it's become so natural and so normal for us to talk negatively about ourselves or happiness and joy and abundance and greenness all come when we get to time when there's a you know we lose weight or we you know joy is in smaller genes it's like basically what we're taught and it's it's just not true and even when we talk about feeling like so we all say things like it's very British like, I feel so fat you can't feel fat like that's just literally impossible <laughs> like it, it doesn't but we said so rather than say I feel really full or I feel, oh, I feel so fat like that that's some of the, the language that we use and so much of that is just so negative and we don't even realize it because sometimes we, we say it so flippantly not actually thinking about how much that seeps into our subconscious and how much we then believe that about ourselves I'm just feeling so fat and lazy. Oh, I just oh, I'm so frumpy. Oh, like you know, it's all so negative. And we just look at everyone who is smaller than in a physical sense and expect there to be joy there. And actually, so many of my friends are more petite than me or small, you know, small in physical size, but actually don't have any more joy or happiness and actually feel some of the same feelings and negativity towards themselves as I do. So if we all feel like that and we're all in this vicious cycle then clearly it's not an issue with our physical body and there's something else going on um and it's so easy and January is like the worst time and actually when we looked at publishing my book it was like when did we want to do it like and I just said I want it to be at the beginning of a year 
where everyone is being fed this, you know, lose weight, feel great. Oh, you know, this is the year you're going to change your life. This is the year you're going to fit into that dress. This is the year you're going to lose all the weight. This is the year you're going to get stuck And I wanted to throw something in the mix and go, actually, yes, this is the year you're going to change your life, but it has nothing to do with what you look like and everything to do with how you feel about yourself. Yeah. And I wanted to throw that in the mix. And, and I'm so glad it's now. Um, because it's February so everyone who's tried to if you were anything like I was back in the day you've done it for three weeks and now you're fed up and you're like sod this so now I'm coming in and going see you didn't need it anyway here we go I agree and it is about that you know you've used those we use words to mask sometimes what we're you know we go to a shorthand which Mm. is a a tired shorthand and doesn't actually describe what's really going on so what is behind that why are we feeling like we don't want to leave the house and see people why are we really feeling like we can't do something instead of just kind of using this terminology that's so loaded but also says nothing it says yeah. nothing it doesn't really say how you're doing it's just like a you know you're drawing a curtain over something um what is really going on and that's what I love about your book is you you are asking that you're asking people to really think um but in a really relatable way so thank you and I'm going to go on to your final one which is I have everything I need to create joy and happiness in my life tell us more think we all feel like we joy and happiness comes when 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 if what if and it's always when we get something else or when we do something else and actually for me it was accepting that it's 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 now it can be now if I choose it and I, I it can be quite there's this toxic positivity isn't there put your big girl pants on and move on and everything's fine just choose happiness blah, blah. yes okay to some degree but actually that's it's not as simple as that is it like that that's ridiculous but actually there is a choice to be made and what what I meant by that I have is that I have it within myself now I just have to bring that to the surface and really understand it and move forward with it it's not going to come when something else does it, it can happen now but I have to actively choose it and work on it so it's not that you know just put your big girl pants on or you know just choose to be happy today I'm not necessarily saying that but what I'm saying is that it's already there the the things that make up that joy and that happiness and that abundance in your life you do already have it's about bringing that to the surface and understanding it and and using that um every day and I took a long time to understand that for me happiness was always going to be when I reached target weight happiness was always going to be when I lost weight or when I found the man of my dreams or when I had children or when I got a job promotion or when I when I when I when I it was always when it actually had nothing to do with any of that (laughs) at all because what if I didn't land the job or the man or get to target weight what I was just never going to be happy ever again in my life not not particularly true um and so I had to really dig deep into understanding what I have now is enough and a lot of that came with in the last chapter I talk about my friend Emma and a lot of the I have it already now came from her Um, she passed away she had breast cancer she didn't even hit 30 it was a massive loss for for our friendship group um, and when we, I don't know if it's very different when you you know someone's going to pass away, you know someone's going to die. There's this real, I guess it's twofold, isn't it? On on a more positive side, you get you have a chance to have some of those conversations that you maybe wouldn't get if something happened more suddenly. And she said to me, you know, there's there's never any time. We run out of time. It's never about any of that stuff, you know. 
all I wish I had more now is time, but I care about any of the other stuff. And that was so hard hitting for me because actually that's what we we expect. We almost, to sound career, a little bit entitled, thinking we've got all the time in the world to get what we want and then joy will come. And actually that's not the case. Um, and, you know, I'm not doing a whole, you know, life short, YOLO, no, no. But actually you really have to accept, you have everything you need now. Yeah. You do. It's just about bringing it and understanding it and accepting it and owning it and using it every day to change your life rather than thinking it's going to come when. I agree. And thank you for sharing that with us and about your friend Emma. And, you know, that's that's a really strong, you know, the future isn't promised and and, and we have to we have to find what we have now. And that is enough. So as we come to the end of the podcast, I'm going to ask you the question that we ask everyone, which is if you could meet Jess 10 years from now, so you get to go and sit with her on a bench and have a chat for five minutes, what do you hope she would say to you? What kind of pearls of wisdom or or note from the future do you hope she'd give you? I love this because everyone always says like 10 years behind and you always give them, but actually I've never thought about a hedge before. I hope that she would say, your kids turned out all right. <laughs> They're not in therapy like you think they need to be. You do not right, hon, don't worry about that. Um, because I genuinely think every decision I make to the kids, I'm like, that's it, they're, going, they're just going to therapy. They're, they're going to be so messed up because I messed up, but no. Um, I, from that perspective, from, from a parenting perspective, I hope that I'd look back and say, you did, you did all right. You know, they've turned out fine. You did great. Um, but also that she would say your consistency and relentlessness to keep going even when it all went a little bit wrong um is why you made it and why you got this far because I think in the moments where we we almost feel like there's a stop don't we there's a wall oh I don't want to climb the wall I don't want to get oh forget it let's it's not my lane or whatever and actually it can be and I think I would I would say that to myself is that there are moments that were tough you didn't think you were going to get on the other side of that but you did but you needed to keep going you needed to be consistent and you needed to be relentless in that and those two things made it that you got to where I am and and that's a really great place and you changed lots of lives like that's and not in a really narcissistic you know I'm the one who changed everyone's lives because actually I think with writing a book like this that the hard part is the change doesn't come from what they learn about me. The change comes from when someone decides to do that for themselves. So they could read that book and say, well, I read it and nothing changed, but actually it's because they didn't take the action that I'm explaining to, to make that change. So I hope that I look back and think the story that I shared was worth sharing. It was worth the vulnerability. It was worth the nerves and it's 3 a.m. word count, <laughs> trying to get to my word count. It was worth sharing maybe the, the parts of me that I didn't want to own or, or owned that weren't so nice, but I needed to share to help people understand all of that was worth it because someone's read it and related to it and made an active change and made their life better. Um, but those changes will come from the people who read it, not, not necessarily from me, but I want to know that I was part of that and got to ignite some of that for them so that I know that it was worth the struggle <laughs> it was worth the, the heartache <laughs> and the crying from my very humble perspective I just think it's brilliant and I think you will absolutely do that I mean it's, it's day one of it being out and I look forward to 
hearing more from you on it and seeing people post it and if you're listening to this and you've got Jess's book please do uh give her a review and also tell us how it's helped you as well because um I think it's a really wonderful book and it's always gorgeous to talk to you Jess we love you at Happiful and we're so delighted and there'll be a piece with Jess in our five-year anniversary issue of the magazine which is issue 60 uh, and that will be out in mid-March so make sure that you get your hands on that Jess where can people find you if they want to find you online uh so at the fat funny one pretty much everywhere um so that's like facebook tiktok instagram i'm scared of twitter so i'm not <laughs> it is hardcore and i'm just i'm just not about that life like i maybe i need to reread my book and get the confidence to go on, to, go on twitter because i'm like so scared of it but on all the others you, it's exactly the same just at the fat funny one is where i'm at and, and on youtube and just that's it really and then obviously and the book is is everywhere it, it needs to be so amazon wh smith waterstones uh the bookshop all of those good places um it's there um and yeah that's that's where i'm at that feels very strange actually saying you can go to waterstones and find my book how weird is that thank you for listening to i am i have don't forget to rate and review this podcast and please download the Happyville app to find mental health and well-being help in your area. If you're in need of immediate help, you can call the Samaritans on 116-123 or email joe at samaritans.org 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Help is available. This podcast has been produced and hosted by me, Lucy Donoghue for Happiful. We hope you'll listen again soon.